Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. and cheats here on Ravel.tv via World Soccer Talk. My name is Carter Christianire, your host. You can find me at Twitter at KKFLA737. Tonight we're going to be talking about growing pains for pro soccer in North America, and we're not just talking about Toronto FC in year nine and what they just did on the pitch in Montreal, an embarrassing performance. I'm sure most of you tuning in tonight just watched that and have switched from that to this. First off, a bit of an apology to all of you who've tried to interact with me about this topic on Twitter the last couple of days. I have been under the weather. I haven't been on Twitter very much. If you probably noticed from my tweets, tweeting at four in the morning and then not tweeting again until 6 p.m. So I apologize for that. I wanted to interact with everybody, but now we have our chance in the next 45 minutes or so to interact on this topic. And I will try and get back to everybody who has gotten in touch with me on Twitter about this issue and about where North America's pro soccer leagues go next as far as expansion markets. So here's the situation as it is today. Major League Soccer has 20 teams. They're adding Atlanta and a second Los Angeles team or replacing the previous second Los Angeles team with another one in a few seasons. Minnesota is moving from North from NASL from the North American Soccer League, the second division up to Major League Soccer in either 2017 or 2018. 2018 is the announced date of some reporters, some very good reporters, including Brian Korstad, who has his finger on the pulse of everything Minnesota and everything second division soccer, up in the Twin Cities reports that maybe 2017, they might be up a year early. They've got, they've got their thing together in Minnesota. So now that they've got their stadium situation sorted, I don't see any reason for them to, to stay an extra year in NASL. So maybe 2017. So that's 23 teams. Slot 24 is reserved for Miami and David Beckham. We'll get into that in a minute. The North American Soccer League has 11 teams currently, the second division North American Soccer League. They have added teams in Puerto Rico and New- and Miami for next season. The Miami team was announced yesterday at a press conference at FIU where the team will play. Uh, I-, I think it's a very risky move to go to Miami. We ranked the, the top markets without professional soccer teams, top 15 to go into. And to be honest with you, I don't know where Miami would have ranked if that were in, uh, sorry, top 20 markets. I'm not sure where Miami would rank. It would have been in the top 20 just based on market size and market potential, but it wouldn't have been at the top. I'll tell you that much. Too much historical failure there. Too many fickle fans 
and there is an NASL team 20 miles down the road. Possible cannibalization of their own fan base. And they're going to Puerto Rico. USL, the third division, will be upwards of 30 teams next year. They are putting a team in McAllen, Texas, which is a market that would have been on my top 20 list for sure if it hadn't been uh, if they hadn't announced that team, I'd like that market for a long time. When I worked at the NESL, I was I liked that market. It just barely made the cutoff for D2 metropolitan areas. I think the McAllen metropolitan area has about 7, 750, 800,000 people, 750 is the cutoff for D2. Population standards are a little ridiculous. When we get to Chattanooga, we're going to talk about that. And they are also going to add a team in Cincinnati that starts in 2017. They're adding a team in Brevard County, Florida, uh, Melbourne, Palm Bay area next season, which will be affiliated with Orlando City. That is a metropolitan area of under 750,000. However, that is in a TV market of about 4 million, the Orlando TV market. The, the Brevard County is part of that TV market. And again, they're attached to a, uh, to a major league soccer team. So that even though that comes under the market size for D2, and of course, USL is still a D3 next year. They're going to apply for D2 status in 2017. That uh, Melbourne, Palm Bay, Space Coast market here in the state of Florida where I am is, I think, a, a good potential market. Actually, a market with a lot of soccer history with the Cocoa Expos in the past. So um, let's, let's get right to um, some of the comments before I get into the list and why we went there and look for interaction. My life is a two- uh, Tuzin, who's great on Twitter, by the way, left a comment. Will soccer in America and Canada follow the likes of NHL and put soccer in places where the market is not as strong in order to introduce new fans and to grow the game? The NHL puts teams in Phoenix, Florida, and Carolina too early and is not doing as well as most people expect. Yes, I, I, uh, I agree with the Florida, Phoenix, Florida, and Carolina thing. Florida, I, I assume you're talking about the Florida Panthers. The Tampa Bay Lightning have done very well. They're, and that's a solid NHL market. Phoenix is not, uh, South Florida is not, and Carolina is not. The Raleigh-Durham area is not. Now, um, as far as that floor, same Florida Panthers market, we're talking about MLS and NASL both going into Miami, which is that kind of market. It's a, it's a market which has proven to be bad for the American domestic pro soccer game, repeatedly. The Fort Lauderdale Strikers, many may not realize who are newer to this sport, were called Miami FC for five seasons. This current iteration of the Fort Lauderdale Strikers, the previous Fort Lauderdale Strikers were once called the Miami Freedom. The previous Fort Lauderdale Strikers to that were once called the Miami Toros and Gatos. All those teams have moved north in the metropolitan area because Miami is such a lousy place for American pro soccer. So I think MLS and NASL are already taking that approach, putting a team in Miami, which is a proven terrible market for American professional soccer. Okay, um... I doubt Miami could exist in NASL. Would the Fort Lauderdale Strikers jump to MLS, though? I ought to ask that question. They won't if Beckham is, uh, is, is in fact, starting his team. There was talk about that, the Strikers jumping, and, and we'll see. I mean, Ronaldo being involved with the Strikers is an intriguing possibility for MLS. But I think we have to see what happens with Beckham. Uh, Sir Bob Orr, shameful performance from Toronto FC. Look, we, we, we picked this topic earlier in the week. If, if we hadn't, we'd be talking... TFC tonight because it is such an embarrassment in a league that has rules that promote parity and in a league that has very few international slash cosmopolitan cities where you can attract top European players to. There are three of those cities, right? Los Angeles, New York, and Toronto, maybe Chicago, maybe 
they think Miami will be that. That's why I think they want to go to Miami. Now, Boston, not really, because the team's not in Boston. D.C., maybe, but not until they get their stadium situation settled. And Toronto has spent nine seasons as an embarrassment. It's really, it's really shameful, and it's really bad for MLS, because I think Toronto, we hear about Cascadia all the time, Seattle, Portland, Vancouver. We hear a lot about New York City, too, now, with Man City coming in. We hear a lot about Los Angeles. I think Toronto could be the signature franchise, signature club in all of North American soccer, Toronto FC. But in fact, it's the opposite. It's the most logical place to have a top club. It is the London of the Americas. And another comment, another comment here is from uh, uh, Miami FC is owned by uh, Ricardo Silva. Mr. Silva is creating another TV product with Miami FC. Um, if you guess the one, uh, uh, you are getting very warm. Okay, so this is a great comment by OT, uh, OT Management 888. Ricardo Silva is uh, planning on selling. He is a TV broker. This Miami FC team probably exists more for TV purposes than for actual local market purposes. The TV network he is referencing is Al Jazeera and BN Sport, headquartered in Doha in Qatar. That is correct, and that is a very, very good comment, and thank you for that. Um, so let's talk about the list of where pro soccer should go next. I have Detroit at the top of the list. Number one, hands down, best market out there without a pro soccer team. I think most people agree on that. However, I have to caution the leagues, if you're listening to this, Major League Soccer, NASL, I don't, I don't know about USL, what they were thinking. If you were thinking of going into Detroit and not including Detroit City FC and those supporters, you're not going to make it. You're not going to reach the potential of that market. I've heard rumors, I can't corroborate them, that there has been some interest in NASL from an outside investment group that may not necessarily be linked with Detroit City FC. That'd be a disaster. So here's what I've said. Detroit City FC is the hippest club in the country. I don't think there's any question about that. You talk about swag and people getting swag, even MLS supporters groups are ordering Detroit City stuff. I have a friend who works for the Fort Lauderdale Strikers who tells me he owns more Detroit City merchandise than Strikers merchandise. I know members of the Ruckus in Orlando that have Detroit City merchandise. They're not buying uh, other club merchandise, and that's a fourth division club. They have the, the shining star in the first division, Orlando City, second in the league in attendance this year. Uh, one, uh, one of the uh, real great clubs in, in American soccer now with the women's team coming on next year with Alex Morgan, with um, with uh, the, the B team we talked about in Brevard County and the Space Coast and just kind of the, the whole landscape of, of Central Florida. It's, it's, a, it's a big market, unlike Portland, which is kind of limited by size. Even Seattle doesn't have quite the catchment area that that Orlando has potentially for for fans. So it's a it's a massive club that has massive potential because of also the ability to draw fans from Tampa and Jacksonville and even some from where I am in South Florida. Even some of their supporters, diehard supporters of Detroit City stuff. Um, the revitalization of Detroit, the story, you know, we saw uh, Kid Rock and all these commercials, Super Bowl a couple of years ago, Chrysler commercials, the, the post-GM and Chrysler bailout. Revitalization of Detroit. You get the sense, even though Detroit City FC is an NPSL amateur team, they are part of that heartbeat, that revitalization of Detroit. They're the big prize, and they have more leverage right now 
than any of the pro leagues who, I mean, they're, they're, they're teams and markets that are desperate to get into professional leagues. And we're going to get into those markets after we get done with Detroit. Detroit can sit and wait. I mean, they, they can, they can, they can play leagues against one another. Everybody wants to be in Detroit. So huge market, largest uh, television market right now in the country without a professional soccer team, largest television market in the country without an MLS team. San Francisco television market does have an MLS team, San Jose. The San Francisco, Oakland metropolitan area does not. So it depends whether you look at metropolitan areas or catchment areas for television, because there is obviously maybe a different catchment area for fans and, and the earthquakes played some games in Oakland the last few seasons. Now that they built their stadium in Santa Clara or in San Jose, they're not going, they're not going back to the North Bay area or to the East Bay, East Bay area. They're, they're staying where they are. So that leaves the door open for San Francisco. We're going to get San Francisco in a minute, but D- Detroit is the crown jewel. Detroit is the, the team that everybody wants Detroit city FC. So I think, uh, um, <laughs> Don Garvin says, I'd like to see Detroit City work their way up, get promoted to MLS, and beat the shit out of NYCFC. Totally different model. Detroit City, of course, fan, organic, the heartbeat of the city. New York City FC imposed on the fans in New York when the Cosmos opted to go to ML- NASL instead of MLS. Not sure about the wisdom of that decision. We can argue that another time. But they decided to go to NASL, and they're trying to make a go of it in NASL. MLS panics. They go to Man City's owners. Man City plops a team in New York. I'm not sure they're happy with the results, quite frankly. They're limited by MLS rules. I don't think NYCFC can ever quite grow the global footprint, even though they're the city club, quote, in one of the most uh, visible and important cities in the world. Because of those restrictions, I think Manchester City's city football group, who, who run Manchester City, right now run by uh, Fernand Soriano, who is uh, Catalan, I believe, from Barcelona, they made the decision that they would just attach the NYCFC brand to the Manchester City brand and use it to grow the Manchester City brand. Apparently, in 2013, when they announced the team, that wasn't the plan. It was to have independent clubs and just kind of the same ownership, the way the Pozo family that runs Udinese, runs Watford, Granada, and Udinese, they, they, they exchange players and everything, which is in itself a bit questionable, but they're independent brands but there didn't seem to be any value in an mls brand so they went ahead and uh, initially the kits weren't supposed to be the same color not the kits are now exactly the same as manchester city's kits except for the fact that in mls you have to wear adidas so mls has this long-term deal with adidas so they have the three stripes and the adidas logo instead of the nike logo but that's it that's the only difference so um yeah that would be kind of an interesting thing i think we have some other Cases like that. Orlando is an organically grown club. Yes, they had to get another investor in um, in in uh, their in, in from Brazil in order to put them into a position where uh, Flavio de Silva a position to get to MLS. But the reason why Orlando was an attractive proposition for an outside investor was because of the success the team had at the lower division level in attracting fans and, and of course players as well. So that's the reason Orlando isn't made it to major league soccer when they did. So that's, that's, um, that's that. So the, so Detroit, we, we acknowledge as the crown jewel. That's a unique situation. So let's go to other markets, get, get everybody's thoughts on this. San Diego is an interesting one because there is 
an incredibly successful Liga MX team right across the border in Tijuana, which has a ton of American players. It's had a lot of U.S. national team players. But it's a big market. There are soccer supporters there, and there are tons of people who want to invest in the sport there, which is why San Diego comes up every time expansion for NASL or USL has been mentioned. Or before MLS decided to double down in the L.A. market, the relocation of that second team in L.A. It was thought to go to San Diego. But here's the problem. There's a lack of an adequate facility. I mean, there are plenty of adequate facilities, but just, there's no right-sized facility. And I think we're in a position where some folks are, are worried about fans who go across the border to Club Tijuana and have created that attachment to that club. That's actually a concern for the L.A. FC team in MLS. A lot of Americans and Mexican-American fans have created an attachment to that club, and it's a perfect hybrid club because it's a club with a lot of American influence playing in Liga MX. It's, it's, it's the closest thing. Years ago, there was talk of a team in Los Angeles in Liga MX. It was blocked by FIFA, but this is the closest thing to it, Club Tijuana. Um, the Zolos, people love that club. So that's the question about that. Nashville. Another market with great supporters, a market which has been tested time and time again with U.S. national team games, U.S. women's national team games, U.S. U23 games. They have a supporters-run NPSL club. Nashville is going to have a team in the next year or two. I think it might be USL and not NASL based on what I'm hearing, but Nashville will have a team. So they'll be off this list pretty soon. And then we start talking about Nashville being a team to jump from one of those two lower divisions to major league soccer, San Francisco. We kind of talked about will a minor league work in San Francisco NASL, according to, to several reports, including one from uh, Evan Ream, who's a very good reporter covers the Sacramento Republic. NASL is very close to pulling the, pulling the, uh, trigger on a team in San Francisco with some Brazilian investors from Silicon Valley and Ricardo Heromel, who was the previously the managing partner of the Fort Lauderdale Strikers, has now been um, – Strikers never formally relieved them of his duties, but he's uh, no longer managing the Strikers. I can confirm that. It's been talked about in some other venues. So that's apparently the group going in to San Francisco. Uh, I'll tell you, we're going to get to those markets in a little bit. Uh, Phoenix and San Antonio were not on my list because, and I want to reference, this list comes from an article at worldsoccertalk.com. I should have mentioned that earlier, but we could talk about uh, potential markets for MLS. Phoenix and San Antonio are both MLS markets. I'd love to talk about San Antonio tonight. Las Vegas, we will talk about in a minute, is reference uh, to pro, uh, pro soccer potential. Um, so... I think when I look at the situation around this San Francisco potential startup team in, in the North American Soccer League, I worry about NASL being seen as a minor league. And look, I used to work for the NASL. I will hold my hand up right now and say I may have been guilty of some of the same rhetoric that you hear from some of these Cosmos fans and Rowdies fans today about there not being much of a difference between NASL and MLS in terms of quality of play, this nonsense of, um, uh, of 
ideological purity and people wanting to invest in, in something that's ideologically pure with no restrictions. I, I think that there's some truth to that, but I don't think it's quite as extensive as people think. Although I have to say there are investors, I've reported this morning that there are investors that um, want to go down to ASL because of the lack of restrictions, foreign investors. But I, I don't know that it exactly, exactly works out when you go down to ASL. Um, but my point was going to be there is a tremendous gap in quality of play between NASL and MLS. There really wasn't as big a gap in 2010 and 11. The 2010, when I was working for NASL, and we were part of this hybrid D2 league, and current clubs that are in MLS, Austin, which is now Orlando, which moved after that season to Orlando. Austin, Montreal, Vancouver, and Portland were in our league the Division II League, and MLS itself only had 15 or 16 teams, including Toronto, which is not really an MLS-level team, as we find out time and again. They might not have won our league. They might never have won our league, quite frankly. That's why they would struggle in Canadian Cup against Montreal and Vancouver, even though they were a division lower, because Toronto wasn't very good. Um, but the point is, I think what's happened is those four teams have moved to, to MLS. They've added the, the Man City team in New York in addition to those four teams. And there's been a dilution of talent at the lower division level. USL has a situation where they're getting a lot of young talent to go to MLS because those people want to be in the shop window or be affiliated with an MLS club. So NESL's quality of play has suffered. Hence, the quality of play may not be good enough for a market like San Francisco or Miami where they're starting next year. I gave up. Nesta, a lot of credit. Nesta already told me in sport yes, last night that he's realistic about getting players from Europe. They're on an NASL budget. They're not on um, an MLS budget. It's not, you know, there's a lot of hubris that the Cosmos threw out there about signing players, and they've ended up with Raul, which is great just for us to see Raul, but it's not the same Raul. Marco Senna was a very good one, really good one, but that's really one guy that I think they signed from Europe that could have gone to Major League Soccer and made an impact. One guy. Although I have to say, having Raul is so cool because Raul, to me, historically a better player than all these guys MLS aside. There are a couple of exceptions. I mean, I would say, obviously, uh, Drogba is, at a, is an incredibly high play level. I think Steven Gerrard accomplished so much at the club level. But some of the other guys MLS aside and made a big deal about as DPs, eh, I don't think they're as, as, as great career-wise as Raul. But they were still better when they got here. Robbie Keane, I don't think, had as great a career as Raul. But I think his, his performances speak for itself. Giovanni De Santos, come on. I mean, he's a journeyman player in Europe. Uh, I'm not sure if he's done much in MLS either. Poor Robbie Keane. Uh, that, that, it hasn't ended well this year for L.A. And uh, he's not getting any younger. So. so San Francisco, I think, is a major concern because minor league may not work in a market like that. Minor league might create a situation where you get into um, into trouble. Detroit um, FA, do you think that Detroit City FC will ever be in MLS and is MLS interest in the market? I don't know that MLS is interested in Detroit City FC, but if they're not, they're crazy. It's the crown jewel. That is the club everybody wants. Everybody wants to be associated with that. And since MLS has gone from being kind of American sportish, NFL-like, soccer momish to being supporters-oriented. 
kind of you're opposing too much with all the teams called FC and United, right? But still, they, they kind of appreciate the soccer culture now, the football culture. I think Detroit City, I can't imagine they wouldn't be interested. Um, I think, as I said earlier, not that's reminding us of that, I think if NASL, as has been rumored, goes into Detroit with another investment group, they're crazy. They'll fail. I think you'll still have the hardcores go to the, the NPSL games. It's got to be Detroit City FC. I mean, that's who you have to take in that market. They have created a brand. They've created an identity. They've created kind of a turnkey operation to where if you can get them some investment, and yes, they need investment, get them investment, and you keep the supporters as part of the picture, owning whatever, 35%. I'd love to see the supporters own 51%, but under USSF rules, it's a whole nother issue. The U.S. Soccer Federation has some ridiculous rules about net worth and running of football clubs net worth requirements, population requirements, all these things, all these nonsensical things meant to dissuade supporter ownership, maybe meant to lock in uh, MLS's first division and NASL's second division. I, I don't know. But um, because of that, it, it, you can't have a supporter-run club technically. Now, if they were ever to make an exception, they got to make an exception to Detroit. Um, Robert C25 asked me about Sacramento. Yeah, Sacramento's going to MLS at some point. I think that's pretty clear. Which is why San Francisco is an attractive proposition for um, for for Major League Soccer. I think or for NASL because I think the thought process is that uh, they're not going to go to San Francisco with a team in San Jose. They'll go to Sacramento. Uh, this is a similar line of thinking now. NASL kind of going to Jacksonville, which is a very good market, and doubling down on Tampa Bay because there's a team in Orlando. While Tampa, the Tampa Bay TV market is one of the largest, Tampa St. Petersburg TV market is one of the largest that is not in Major League Soccer currently. I think it's the third largest behind Detroit and um, Phoenix. Miami Fort Lauderdale is ranked lower because remember the, the South Florida metropolitan area, the catchment area for a team in Fort Lauderdale is split between the West Palm media market and the Miami Fort Lauderdale media market. The catchment area for a team in Miami is very much just in the Miami TV market, which makes it a smaller TV market, smaller catchment area. Another reason you don't want to put a team in Miami. But NASL and MLS have made their decisions and they're probably going to suffer for it. Um, before we continue with this list, I want, I want to... Uh, spend a couple minutes talking to you all about Ravel.tv, where you're interacting with us tonight. If you're enjoying this episode of Diaries and Cheats, it's time to give a shout out to our sponsor, which is Ravel.tv. They made this entirely possible. If you're not familiar with Ravel, it's a completely new way of experience in sports on TV. The concept is simple. The next time you want to watch your favorite soccer team on television, but you're tired of the announcers because they're biased against your team or simply aren't that good, press the mute button and then head over to Ravel.tv to listen to a real fan's audio broadcast of the game. Um, and if there isn't one available, you can create your own broadcast, which Otto, who's listening tonight, does a lot with Turkish games and with uh, European games, Europa League and, and Champions League. It's easy. Sign up for free today and try it out. And also, if, if maybe there is a game that is on tape delay, I know this happened the last couple of days with being in sport. They, they, they can only show so many League Cup games at once. They had to show games on tape delay, which they did a fantastic job of, by the way. Props to BN. I've been very critical of their coverage of, uh, of the championship and, and football league and, and the football league cup in the past, but they're treating it very seriously this year with studio shows and with studio analysis and also uh, 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 
lots of uh, coverage of the championship on bumper programs, which they never did before. Um, I think maybe because the ratings for the championship games are as good as they are for Serie A and Liga. It's not La Liga, but it's not it's not really your typical second division. Anyway, um, with Ravel, you can listen to broadcasts on your desktop through your iOS app and now through your mobile browser, which is really cool and makes this very accessible even if you don't have the app. Plus, you can join in the conversation by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. So take a moment to thank our sponsor for making this episode possible by heading over to Ravel.tv, where it's your team and it's your call. And uh, if you're not happy with announcers, soccer games, football games, whatever, college football games, college football has some of the worst announcers ever, you can sign up uh, at Ravel.tv. I know it's too bad Ravel wasn't around when Tim Tebow played at the University of Florida because I think the fans of every rival SEC team would have uh, put up, would have created a rabble cast to, to talk about the game when CBS was showing the Florida games because they were so biased towards Tebow. And um, it's very sad because Bobby Bowden's last game as Florida State head coach in the regular season, who's maybe the greatest coach of all time, college football, such a dignified guy. There was really, we didn't know it was going to be his last game, but it was this Tebow love fest on CBS and then the incoming FSU president um, forced uh, – uh, for, uh, actually, he wasn't incoming by that time, T.K. Weatherall. He was FSU president, kind of forced Bowden out after that game, after uh, they lost 37 nothing or something. But it was very, uh, very sad, the whole thing. Anyway, back to our topic at hand after our Tebow diversion, because uh, I know if you say Tim Tebow, people click. So we're just trying to drive up our numbers since that Tebow is the – the big talking point always, especially here in Florida. Everybody loves Tim Tebow. And, well, not everybody loves Tim Tebow. There are a lot of Florida State fans and Miami fans who don't love Tim Tebow. Um, he was the only – he was the quarterback. He's the only quarterback for the University of Florida who's beaten Miami in the last quarter century. Quarter century plus. Florida's, Florida's last victory with another quarterback against Miami, 1985. Quarterback then was Kerwin Bell. Anyway, back to our list. Milwaukee. What do you what do you all think about Milwaukee? It's it's a market which has been very good for indoor soccer, and was very good for outdoor soccer. The Milwaukee Rampage prior to folding in 2004, you had guys like Tony Sane, Brian McBride, and others, Dan, uh, Dan Stebbins, who of course came and played for the uh, Miami Fusion, famous player. I think Ray Hudson is quoted as saying, "If we had another striker than Dan Stebbins, the Fusion would still be in business," because he couldn't. He couldn't finish chances those first couple games when he was the striker for the team, and uh, the fans never came back. But anyway, Milwaukee is a uh, is a great market. Peter Wills, who's now been linked with the Chicago Sting startup in NASL, is a Milwaukeean, big Marquette basketball fan, um, and he would be the perfect perfect person to run a club there or to attract investment to run a club there. While we're on that subject. What do the listeners think about NASL's approach of sticking teams in existing MLS markets or in other large markets? We just talked about San Francisco and Miami, two large markets where NASL is taking essentially a minor league product, which is what it is. We all like to think it's, it's not, but it is a minor league when you compare the level of play to Major League Soccer at this moment in time. And I don't see how in five years, unless NASL – spends well above their, their revenues, their sponsorships, all of their stuff, TV revenues, that they are able to, to create a football product that's comparable to MLS. Now, they could create a supporters-driven culture 
a cool, hip atmosphere at games that MLS lacks in most places. Because most people don't like going to MLS games in, in New England. Most people don't like going to MLS games in Chicago. Most people don't like going to MLS games in Colorado. Yeah, they think Orlando's cool. They think Portland's cool. They think uh, Toronto, well, I mean, they think Toronto, Toronto is cool. But it's, it's the team's terrible. But about half the MLS teams have really lame atmospheres and static kind of American professional sports atmospheres. If, ML, if NASL can create cool atmospheres that resemble European or Latin American grounds, even the quality of soccer isn't as good, they've got a shot. But they've got to do that. So they're going into Chicago, according to all reports. They're going to San Francisco, according to all reports. They confirmed Miami yesterday with a press conference. I don't know what people think of this, if they think that they can compete. Now, Chicago is one place where MLS is not doing well. You can look at that as one of two things. There's a great opportunity for NASL with a supporters-driven team, a different kind of culture, a team that maybe plays on the north side or plays in, in the city of Chicago instead of in Bridgeview. Or you could look at it the way some people look at it, which is Chicago is a huge market where there are a lot of fans of European club teams and Mexican club teams, where the standard of soccer in MLS, which we're already seeing is much better than NASL, isn't good enough for a lot of those people. They're soccer snobs, and they're not going to go see domestic soccer. Unless you have Risto Storchkoff or Cuauhtémoc Blanco playing. Chicago's done okay when those guys played for them. Uh, Peter Nowak, another one. That's possible. That's entirely possible. Apologize for the dog barking. Uh, Sebastian always makes an appearance on these programs. Um, okay, so I definitely say... Detroit, San Diego, and St. Louis are the top three cities for expansion. St. Louis already has a pro team in USL now. If St. Louis were still without a professional team, they'd probably be right there with Detroit, one and two. I think we all know about the potential St. Louis. And uh, we don't need to spend any more time on this show talking about the potential St. Louis because I think we've all talked about it for years. If it's done right, it'll be a huge hit there. Baltimore. Baltimore is a mixed bag. Crystal Palace Baltimore didn't do very well. Indoor game is very popular in Baltimore. The, the, uh, and, and the Baltimore Blast. And D.C. United is really close, and their stadium situation is, is about to be settled. Although D.C. not moving to Baltimore leaves the door open for Baltimore. Baltimore has drawn really well for high-level European friendlies. But again, like Miami, I don't think that translates necessarily to domestic soccer. I give Baltimore a bit of a pass on the Crystal Palace thing because, again, I think association with European club teams is very murky and very dangerous. And if you have an affiliation agreement with those club teams, it's one thing. But if you replicate everything those club teams do, the Crystal Palace-Baltimore kits were identical. The crest was identical. I mean, even Man City, New York hasn't done that. I mean, the crest is different, although it has some Yankee elements in it, which might explain the Yankees' investment in, in that club also. I mean, I, you look at Austin. They didn't When they were the Austin Aztecs, the previous Austin Aztecs, and moved to Orlando, they were essentially Stoke City, USA. Their kits looked exactly the same. They had a local sponsor in, um, in the microprocessor company, Athlon, Athlon, whatever their name is, uh, AMD, right? The microprocessors, they're from Austin. But um, they, uh, they look like Stoke. Their crests look a lot like Stoke's crest. And uh, that didn't really work. I mean, it kind of worked, but it worked much better for them in Orlando when they, they ripped out uh, the, the Stoke Association and, and made the, the, uh, 
color purple and the rest is history. So I'm not sure about that. So Baltimore maybe is an open market. They'll get a they'll get a uh, uh, a free pass uh, for for the failures with Crystal Palace. Um, moving on, I think you look at Chattanooga. It's not a big enough market, but the supporters are there. The soccer infrastructure is there. Chattanooga FC has now worked. People talking about twenty thousand at this title game against the New York Cosmos B and NPSL. It has worked since two thousand nine. I remember when Shakira Graham, who now lives out in California, when she used to contribute to with us at World Soccer Talker, EPL Talk in those days, and she used to drive from Chattanooga to Atlanta. She's from Chattanooga. Drive from Chattanooga to Atlanta to watch Silverbacks games in the USL. And I told her, well, you're going to have an NPSL team next year. And she thought, oh, wow, that's going to be pretty big. And then she ended up moving to California. But that was seven years ago. And they have been strong that whole time. Right away, by the time I started working at the NESL in 2010, we... NPSL's people were pitching this kind of merger, this whole kind of partnership arrangement, which they still are, which I'm sure everyone who's listening has read about. And Chattanooga was their example, 2010. Hey, this is this is this is where NPSL's big. This is where we get 3,000 a game. This is where supporters are engaged, and it's continued. So Chattanooga, despite small market size, I think they, they can they can handle a pro team. Hartford Springfield area had a pro team in the northern reaches of the Springfield suburbs. And uh, that team has dropped the PDL as of 2009. I, I remember uh, Juan Arango used to cover that team when he lived up in Connecticut, that area, Western Massachusetts. Uh, they are now uh, a, a, a amateur team. I think a pro team would work, but it's probably got to be in Hartford. I, I don't know that I like the Springfield side of this. Um, problem is that we there's been some some scandal now as of the last week. NASL was ready to pull the trigger on a team in Hartford. Very logical market, and there's some scandal. They're pulling back. Hartford will not be announced as an NASL team. Bill Peterson has made noise about 16 teams, 18 teams by the end of the year. He can't seem to get that number straight. It was 18 on Monday night, and then by Wednesday in Miami, it was 16. Um, but it's somewhere between 16 and 18. I don't think Hartford's going to be one of them. Omaha, love this market. I think NASL should have already gone in there. But now that NASL is looking at competing with MLS and going into MLS markets, they won't, which leaves Omaha open for USL. There is an existing soccer infrastructure there. Creighton University has a very popular and successful men's soccer team. It is not a big market, but it is a niche market, which I think will do very well. Providence. Okay, Providence is a tricky one, right? Because of uh, the proximity to, um, to New England Revolution. So here's the way I look at it. We're hearing noise about NASL putting a team in Boston, another Another shot at MLS. Jeremy St. Louis on VN Sport yesterday said that it's almost like NASL is trolling MLS. I kind of think that's the case, even though I can understand why people wouldn't want to support MLS because of the business model and all the other things that that are um, part of being MLS. And who wants to pay $100 million for the privilege of being part of a private club? I think very few people want to do that. So there are opportunities for NASL, but Boston is another place they're looking. They'd probably be smarter to look at Providence, although, again, Providence and Boston are about equidistant from Foxborough. Maybe Providence, maybe more people are going there. Fall River, great soccer history there, right across uh, uh, one of the bridges from Newport. Fall River is actually in Massachusetts, but it's really kind of connected to Providence, Newport, metropolitan area. So I think that's, that's an interesting one. I have Des Moines on my list. 
I know people think this is crazy. I think this is a controversial one. But there's an existing supporter space. There's a strong club there in the Menace, which has produced a lot of good players and has had a lot of good soccer coaches come through there. Most recently, Mike Jeffries, uh, who is now um, coaching the Charlotte Independence. It's an established brand. It's well-known in the soccer community. I think Des Moines would still be a good professional team, but I think it's professional soccer gets more and more popular, and there are more people heading to the uh, – the, there's the, the threshold used to be if you had 3,000 a game, you were successful. Now you need 5,000 at, at the lower division level. Soon it will be 7,000. Maybe Des Moines gets kind of priced out of that. Same thing maybe with Chattanooga. Maybe it's just not possible to get that many people there. Okay, now we get into the kind of the, the, the controversial ones. Um, well, Des Moines is kind of controversial for other reasons. The Inland Empire. I think it might be soccer's opportunity to take a shot at, at Riverside or San Bernardino or Ontario, uh, which is in the minds of people from outside of California or the West Coast, part of the greater Los Angeles area. In many ways, it's not anymore. In many ways, it's kind of not connected to the, um, to the Los Angeles area. It is a it is creating its own identity. It is part of the LA TV market, which gives you this massive TV market, the, either the largest or second largest TV market in the country. I believe LA is second, although I'm not sure. I think LA and New York are very close, one and two. Um, LA would be the largest Hispanic TV market in the country, that's for sure. And a lot of that is in San Bernardino, Riverside. Um, entertainment options are beginning to spring up locally there, and I think it might be a good 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 move for. NASL in particular, since they're so um, set on going into MLS markets, but maybe going into different places geographically from the MLS markets, other than Miami, where FIU is right down the road from where Beckham Stadium might be. And, and again, it's not very far from Fort Lauderdale. Although there are some people who told me, who live in Miami, Midtown Miami, yesterday after the uh, announcement, that it is still easier to get to Fort Lauderdale to Strikers games than it is to FIU. Um, so it's possible the Miami NASL team, if in fact it is meant to uh, attract local attendance, one of our comments said maybe it's not, maybe it's just for the Silva's TV deals with uh, BN and Al Jazeera, uh, that some of those people in Miami still go to Fort Lauderdale games because it's just easier to shoot up 95. Um, traffic east-west in, in Miami-Dade and Broward and Palm Beach counties is, is impossible. North-south is much easier. I can attest to that. So Fort Lauderdale might be twice as far as FIU, but it's probably, it's some days it'll take half the time. Um, so that's the Inland Empire, similar thing. Las Vegas. Vegas doesn't have a really good venue, but it's still a place where if you creatively schedule matches, it may, um, it may work. By the way, I should I, sh I will mention this now. I understand there's a study out there that's going to show that Vegas, the heat index in Vegas, is actually lower than several existing NASL and USL markets in the middle of the summer. The temperature is higher, but the heat index is actually lower because it's incredibly humid in Fort Lauderdale and Miami and Tampa and Atlanta and, and Orlando, Orlando's MLS, uh, Jacksonville and uh, Raleigh-Durham. Those places are incredibly humid in the summer and thunderstorms, too. So I think it's very possible Vegas, the, 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 the temperature, that whole thing is overblown in Vegas. Um, I, I'm looking forward to seeing the study. I, I know it's, it's being developed and, and it could be out soon. 
So that that will be interesting. Norfolk, Virginia Beach wants a very good soccer market. I think that's in the kind of the, the previous era of American pro soccer. They have a facility. They have some important, some good youth clubs, but I think it's been a long time since they had since the Virginia Beach Mariners folded. Professional soccer is at a whole nother level. At that point, Virginia Beach could get three, uh, two, three, four thousand a game, and it was really successful. Not sure they can anymore. So they have to rebuild from scratch. They're starting from zero. That's why I don't have them higher on the list. People, some people rolled their eyes at that. Said, "Well, you saw, said that was a great market five years ago. When I started working at NASL, I said Virginia Beach is a great market. Let's go back in there. USL had been there and it had gone gone bad at the very end. But um, I think time has moved on a little bit." But still a market worth looking at. Albuquerque, another market worth looking at. The hot weather in the summer months like Vegas remains a potential obstacle. I'd like to see the heat index there also, though. But I think Albuquerque is even hotter and maybe has some humidity issues. Fresno, done very well at the, at, at the uh, PDL level. That's a potential market. Uh, Birmingham, Alabama, I think is a good one. National team has done well there. Um not that as many strong youth clubs and, and supporters in the Birmingham area, uh, but um, I think someone's going to give it a go soon. Cleveland, huge market. There's not many soccer supporters there. The soccer infrastructure was terrible. The Cleveland City Stars, who, who played for several years in the lower divisions, always kind of struggled to put together a soccer community. Um, nobody's really looked seriously at Cleveland since. It's not, it's not the same kind of market as Detroit. I mean, it's, it's making a similar comeback uh, as a city, but I think Cleveland, there's just something more. Um, um, I don't know. There's just something different about it than, than, than Detroit. Detroit's got this hipness to it. Cleveland is a very kind of traditional American sports town, I think. And soccer, it's one of these places where soccer maybe will never, will never really work. Um, MLS was smart. The Crafts were smart to go to Columbus. Columbus didn't have another pro team at the time. And uh, Columbus has worked. I mean, Columbus is limited in how good it can be, but it has worked. One year they led the MLS in attendance. So, or led MLS in attendance. You never say that MLS. That was the right call going to Columbus 20 years ago. Thought it was strange at the time. I think it worked out. I put Sarasota Bradenton on this list for my own Florida purposes. Because obviously IMG is there, uh, Lakewood Ranch is there. They see as many professional soccer teams every year as anyone outside of a major MLS market uh, that come through Sarasota to train. They see so many of the kids that end up on the U.S. national team. There are a lot of people. I've noticed that this year when I got to St. Petersburg and then driven back to South Florida, there are a lot of people going to Tampa Bay Rowdies games in St. Pete who live in uh in Manatee or Sarasota counties. That wasn't the case when the Rowdies first moved to St. Pete in 2011. So I think there's a developing fan base there. I got Al Paso on the list. I think after Indios collapse from Liga MX, maybe they're hard up for a team. Um, other markets that I think are close. I think Calgary is pretty close. I, I just think that kind of the, 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 the downfall in oil prices um, has me concerned about it the way I, I'm really concerned about Edmonton, which has an existing team right now in NASL. A couple of years ago, I would have said, yes, Calgary, absolutely. In fact, I thought maybe Edmonton should move to Calgary in NASL. I'm not quite sure that that market necessarily uh, works at this point, but uh, certainly certainly it's one that can be, uh, that can, that can be lamented. 
Austin, we didn't rank because of the Aztecs potentially coming back. Not sure how well, how, how real that is, how, how much that would work out. But that is a, a, another potential market. People have asked about Buffalo. I don't think so. I think, I think Rochester is so close and it's been so strong for so many years. Maybe you could have a Derby, but I just, uh, or if Rochester eventually got to MLS, which I don't think will happen because Rochester was, for those of you who don't know, Rochester was about a day or two away from being an MLS in the mid 2000s and Kansas City was close to being folded. Now, who knows how history would have been different. Rochester might have become this really strong market. They were a very strong Division II market at the time, but Kansas City has just become incredible. And there are people who know the sports scene, like Big O here, WQAM here in South Florida, who tell me, yeah, um, and he was the PA announcer for the Miami Fusion. And I say, well, you know, MLS should have folded Kansas City instead of us, or Dallas instead of us, or San Jose instead of us. He says, yeah, he'll give me Dallas or San Jose, but Kansas City always was a good sports market. They just were playing an arrowhead. And once they got a soccer stadium, they'd be fine. And he's right. They're not only fine, they're one of the model clubs. Um, such a model club that people around the world look at them as, as a big-time team. Um, Don Garber says Madison and Milwaukee would do well. Yes, it's it, funny. You say that Madison was the next market I was going to mention. That, to me, is still a potential market. Um, Madison and Milwaukee will need local rivals because Milwaukee had a great rivalry with Minnesota in the lower divisions. But now that Minnesota is moving to MLS, they might have to develop a rivalry with the new Chicago Sting in, in NASL. Robert C. mentions Little Rock. That's an interesting one. They'd have the whole state to themselves. Uh, I've also thought about Jackson, Mississippi for that reason. Or Memphis, because Memphis can take in fans from Arkansas, Mississippi, Missouri, everywhere. Although, again, I'm not sure about the soccer culture in any of these places. Memphis, Jackson, Little Rock. I'm not sure that there's much soccer culture in these places. There is a soccer culture in Nashville. Um, Nashville is kind of a different city. It's kind of, it's, they're all Southern cities, but Nashville's a little bit hipper and younger and more progressive, you know, more international than those places. Um, Baton Rouge, I'm not sure it's large enough. Baton Rouge or New Orleans. I, Baton Rouge, I think would be better than New Orleans. New Orleans is one that I won't, I wouldn't touch personally, because I just don't think there's the, there's the disposable income in that market to support any pro sports team besides what they have. They got the Hornets to move from Charlotte uh, before Katrina. And really, even at that point, they were moving from a emerging strong Sunbelt market to a, uh, to a place that has been in an economic decline since the 1970s. It was a little bit odd to see a team move to, to New Orleans from Charlotte. Uh, and that's totally a one-off because Charlotte's a much better market for, for, for everything, really, than New Orleans. So um, let's get, get to the last comment, and we're going to begin to wrap things up. How about Louisville? Louisville's got a team in USL. They're doing very well. Louisville, again, if we did this list two years ago, last year, they would have been at the very top of the list. Louisville's doing very, very well. In fact, Louisville, I wonder if they'll rebrand now because they went with purple. They called themselves Louisville City because of an affiliation with Orlando. Now that Orlando's creating their own B team in Melbourne, the Melbourne Palm Bay area, Space Coast, I, I wonder if they'll rebrand. Maybe not because a lot of people bought purple there. Um, so Louisville, I think, is a good one. Both Oklahoma City and Tulsa have teams, by the way. The Tulsa Roughnecks are back. They're playing in, in the USL. Oklahoma City has uh, the OKC Energy. O Oklahoma City, by the way, before we, we run, uh, they might have 
a team in NASL very soon with a foreign club. Not a Manchester City-level club, but a club in a major first division in Europe. I guess I can say it because it's been reported in some other places. Ryan Viacano looks like they want to put a team in NASL in Oklahoma City, which would make Oklahoma City a medium-sized market with two professional clubs, one affiliated directly with a European club. It's a good market, but I don't know if it works that way. And I, OKC Energy is one of the best lower division clubs in the way that they're run and structured. I, I, I think that that's uh, – Oklahoma City could eventually be an MLS market, but uh, the market will be cannibalized by multiple USL teams. Uh, you have met multiple lower division teams. Um, Chat just mentions Nashville. As I said at the top of the show, Nashville and Detroit are the two can't-miss ones for me. I've got San Diego ranked second and Nashville third just because of how the metric fell out because we tried to do this scientifically. But subjectively, I think Nashville and Detroit, with their supporters' cultures, with the kind of hipness of those cities, with the kind of people who support soccer in those cities, those would be the two can't-miss markets. If, if, if you're looking down the list, investment and um, – the way teams are marketed and the way you run a team and manage and operate a team is so important. The two markets I think where you might have more flexibility are Detroit and Nashville because they have fantastic cultures, but I think you have to include the supporters in anything you do in those two places. So um, New Orleans, not to, no, I say no to New Orleans. I think there's not enough disposable income there. There's no history of supporting soccer in that market. There's, I, I wouldn't go there. I, I wouldn't even have them on a top 30 or top 35 list, quite frankly. So um, thank you, everybody, for participating and listening tonight, interacting with us. You can check out our work at worldsoccertalk.com. Find me on Twitter at KKFLA737. Again, I've been ill the last couple of days and have not been responding to tweets as regularly as I'd like to. I know a bunch of you who left questions in here today tweeted at me similar questions, and I'm sorry I didn't answer them. I'm normally much better about that, and I will be much better about that. I've just been under the weather the last few days with some mystery ailment. Um, don't have a fever anymore, but I'm still kind of feeling one, one of those. Um, so thank you for participating. Check out all the great content at Rabble.tv, including some MLS playoff games and Premier League action this weekend at Rabble.tv and college football. If you're a college football fan, you'll get some – I mean, the college football casts are much better than, than the uh, – announcers. I mean, I, college football announcers annoy me. So if I'm watching a college football game, I don't listen to the announcers. I listen to Ravel. So Ravel.tv is where we are now. WorldSoccerTalk.com. Twitter handle is at WorldSoccerTalk. Twitter handle for Ravel TV is at Ravel TV. And my Twitter handle is KKFLA737. Thank you to everyone for participating tonight. It's been a great show. We'll have another controversial and interesting topic for you next week. Maybe it's going to be Toronto FC. It'll probably be something else, but maybe it's going to be Toronto FC. And for everybody at Rabble and World Soccer Talk, I'm Carter Krishnire. Thank you, and enjoy your football. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.